it's good to good to see everyone uh, as we had already stated once again. Um, I'd like to uh, I'd like to take a couple verses of scripture this morning, um, and and these are kind of add-ons uh, to what I'd study. But I want to I want to use these because they're going to express the uh, the importance of uh, what I feel uh, led to bring before you this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, 19, and 20. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the, na- in the, Father, in the name of the Father, uh, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's the Great Commission. We know that's the Great Commission. And uh, there's three actions, there's three, there's three uh, verbs that are primarily expressed. The first one is to go ye there and teach all nations. Uh, to teach them what? To teach them that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all we like sheep have gone astray, and that every person has a great need um, of forgiveness of their sins. That's the, that, that's the first and foremost teaching. After that teaching, he says, and then baptize them upon, upon the reception of uh, salvation, because it's the prerequisite for baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Ghost. And from that point on, teaching them. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And I would like us to think of that verse of Scripture right there, uh, after baptism, the teaching that takes place after baptism is vitally important. I want you to remember that. That's a, that, is, that is a third of the Great Commission. And I want us to turn over to the book of Galatians. We're going to look in Galatians in chapter 2. And I'm going to start with... Uh, I'm going to start with the first verse. And it says, Then fourteen years after I went up again unto Jerusalem with Barnabas... And took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in, the, in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue in you, with you. But these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter, to me, God accepteth no man, uh, no man's person. For who they seem to be, somewhat in conference, added nothing unto nothing to me. But contrarywise, when when they saw that the gospel of the circum, uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, 
perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave unto me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go, un- go that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, because the because the poor the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from the from J, from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come. He withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And other Jews disassembled likewise with him. Insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and, and not as, the, as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Who are, who, we, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that, ma- that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of of Christ of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For for I through the law and am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And that is where we want to stop. That's the entirety of the second chapter. Now, the book of Galatians, Paul is addressing the church of, uh, of Galatia, um, and he's addressing them for specific reason. You see, they have, um, they have allowed some people to come into that church to start teaching things that that church was not founded upon. That church was founded upon the gospel as Paul presented it. Uh, Paul says that in the first chapter. Uh, he says uh, in the first chapter, and we're going to look over here uh, in the uh, in the uh, in the tenth verse. He says, "For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I plead, for if I yet please men, 
I should not be the servant of Christ, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Now, you know he's going to prove that point because he's going to go on into the first chapter of, uh, of, this, uh, of, this, uh, of, the, of this letter. He's going to go on and he's going to prove it. Um, he's going to continue on and he says, For I neither received it of man. So, you see here, it's not a doctrine that was taught to me. In the world we live in today, I'm going to say that in the nation that we live in today, we have a lot of spiritual problems because they've been taught to kids. Parents, like myself, we've wanted to go to work. Uh, We've wanted to commit our kids to be taught and trust that the things that they're being taught are true and they're not lies. Now, the same thing goes for a church. Uh, you've got to trust that whoever it is that's presenting themselves as a, as a preacher, uh, as a, uh, uh, as someone who has, uh, uh, who has been called by God, and that's the most important thing, uh, that they've been called by God. Because there's a lot of people who are preachers today, who, who have a lot of, uh, followers, but they've got no calling. You can tell me all day long Joel Osteen does, but what he preaches doesn't back it up. It, it may be a calling, but it's a, a, it's a calling after the one of mammon and not of God. And so we look here, and he says, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to go on and he's going to show them how it was that he received this gospel. Because, you know, he got saved on the Damascus Road. Uh, then he went and he presented himself to Apollos. Uh, not Apollos. Um, I can't remember who it was he presented himself to there in, uh, in Syria, Damascus. Uh, and uh, and, and he, there was a little hesitation at first. Nevertheless, he receives Saul, and Saul comes to him and, uh, and uh, presents himself, and he's blind. Uh, God has removed his eyesight, and so uh, as soon as he receives him, God restores his eyesight and, uh, and lets him know that he's going to be called to be the apostle to the Gentiles or to the Gentile world. That that's you and I. That's you and I. And so uh, he says this over uh, in the first chapter. And he says in the 17th verse, he says, Neither went I up to Jerusalem uh, to them which were apostles before me. In other words, uh, in nowadays, because we don't have, we don't reckon, we don't have the apostolic op- office, uh, it was a it, it was a temporary office that was given to twelve men, uh, and so uh, we 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 learn by studying the gospel uh, from teachers, uh, from preachers, and things of the sort. Paul did not learn from the apostles. He did not learn the gospel from the apostles. He went into the deserts of Arabia, and he was three years in the desert of Arabia and three years in Damascus before he ever returned to Jerusalem. Now remember, he's a Pharisee's Pharisee. He says that in the 13th verse because he says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past. Now what that really means is the way I lived my life before I got saved. 
saved. You've heard about that. He doesn't shy away from the fact of what he was before he got saved. And he actually uses it to prove his point here in the letter to the church in Galatia. He says, of my, of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. In the Jews' religion. Now, what's the Jews' religion? Talmudism. I don't know if you all know that, but it's Talmudism. It's tradition, traditionalism. That's what the Talmud's filled with, is tradition. The Talmud hates Jesus Christ. I've got news for you. And people who follow Jesus Christ, they, they, they have a very uh, low opinion of. Matter of fact, I can show you verse, there's verses in the Talmud who says that the only thing that they deserve is death. We tend to only look at... Uh, Islam in that in that light, but that's in the Talmud. I can you know, I can show you the verses. But Paul says that he was in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and won and wasted it. See, he 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 hated them. He hated them, and his only his the only thing on his mind was the eradication of it. And so he goes into the, the deserts of Arabia. But I went into Arabia and, and again and returned unto Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. And abode with him 15 days. Now, that's the gospel that Paul, the, that Paul related to the church in Galatia. That that's the teachings in which they were founded upon. And what had happened is they'd let people come into the church at Galatia and to teach a false doctrine. And to teach a false doctrine. They had allowed Jews to come in and start teaching that if you're going to be Jews, then you have to act like Jews, Right? And look, nobody's being anti-Semitic, so we need to all like do away with that. We're studying Scripture here. God, the recompense belongs to God. If anything bad is to happen to somebody, the recompense belongs to God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Paul never sought vengeance against anybody who did him wrong. And so we look here, and we go on. And, he, and we get back into the second chapter now that we've got the, the, the groundwork laid. In the fourth verse, uh, he says that because false brethren unawares brought in. So in other words, they presented themselves as one thing, and then they started teaching a doctrine that was contrary to the doctrine of Jesus Christ that was given to Paul. Right? That's what's happening here. He says, who came in, he came in to spy out our liberty. That which we have in Christ Jesus. Hey, if you want to be free, you got to be saved. That's just the bottom line. You're born into this life in bondage, uh, a servant to sin, and if you want to be made free to free from it, that's only going to occur one way, and that's by seeking the Lord for the salvation of your soul, repenting to God, 
and putting the faith granted unto you in the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the one who suffered and died on Calvary's uh, rugged cross that we might have life again and have it more abundantly. So they start teaching this false doctrine. What's some of the things that they taught? What's, what are some of the things that they taught? What, what can we look at and, and ascertain from Scripture and say, well, these were some of the things that they taught? We used this verse last week. No man can serve two masters, for he will either love the one or either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. That's wealth. What was it that they really worshipped? What, what, what was it that they taught that you should worship after? Well, we know that we have the instance, and we used this last week as well, of the man whose fields fared sumptuously, uh, meaning extravagantly, and it, they, they had a bumper crop to the extent that his barns couldn't hold it, so he tore down his barns, built bigger barns, said to himself, uh, Soul, uh, thou hast laid up many goods for many years, have uh, eat, drink, and be merry. And, uh, and so he, uh, he, that, was what he, uh, that was obviously what he was seeking in life, was to be able to lay up, and be able to have uh, and to retire. Let's use today's word to retire. Uh, and so, uh, what happened though was God came to him and said, "Thou fool, this 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 night or this this day or this night. I don't remember the exact um, thing off the top of my head, but this this day, thy soul will be be required of thee." And so, those things can't save you. They can't save you. Uh, we we're going to look here at a few of the things that I believe is taught in the Bible uh, about what they uh, about what they uh, really really went after I'm going to use in the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew I'm going to start in the 29th verse sorry I'm going to back up a little bit 26th verse thou blind Pharisee Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, and that outside, and then, and that the outside of them may be clean also. In other words, that's the cup and the platter, which he said they always wanted to make sure the outside of the cup was clean, but the inside of the cup wasn't. He goes on and he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. So that's obviously, this is Jesus that's reproving them of these things. And so one of the things that they really liked, one of the things that they taught, one of the thing, a doctrine that they believed in, let's just say it that way, was that you had to look a certain way and you had to present yourself a certain way. Now, I think you need to present yourself in a manner that's respectful, but that's not going to save you. And they gave greater importance to these things. 
And so, and so you have that. He also goes on, and actually, I'm going to back up. That's the that's that's I'm going to back actually up to the 16th verse now. So look at the outside. The, the outward appearance mattered more than what what mattered inwardly. That's the whole that's the whole teaching behind the cup and the platter. Jesus is saying, clean up the inside before you worry about what's on the outside. Now, what did they teach? Let's, uh, let's go back, and I want to back up because I got ahead of myself. 16th verse. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple. It is nothing. Now, we usually read this verse of Scripture, and we just kind of run over it. Right? I want us to I want us to think about what they just said. That that this is a belief that they had. This is a belief that they had. Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. The temple is nothing. That was what they believed. That's what that that now now let's get into this. We have the instance where Jesus, right? Where Jesus goes into the temple. Uh, I believe it's in uh, in Luke. I believe it's in the eh, sixth chapter of Luke. Uh, we have the instance where Jesus goes into the temple, and he says, "You've made my house a house of merchandise." What's that mean? It means that they had because they were buying and selling things for the altar sacrifice, right? The doves, they would sell them. No doubt they had sheep, and they probably had bullocks too, right? Because those things, if you were rich, you would have gotten a bullock. If you were middle class, you would have gotten a sheep. And if you were poor, you would have gotten two doves. And But you would have had to buy them. And so they're selling them in the temple. And you think to yourself, well, geez, if the temple is so important in their religion, why is it that they're treating the temple this way? Jesus says because they... Believe it's nothing, but it's supposed to be the habitation of God, right? Isn't that what the temple was before the before the veil was rent in twain from the bottom to the top? It was the habitation of God. After it was built, God inhabited it. We we just went through uh, a couple years ago uh, in our VBS uh, about the. Uh, about the tabernacle and how all the things in the tabernacle, how they directed, uh, how they directly pointed to Christ. Well, the temple was the same way. It was all set up much the same manner. It was just a solid building, a stationary building, versus something that they packed up and took with them everywhere they went. Now, personally, I believe the tabernacle was greater than the temple for the fact that they took it with them everywhere they went. But he says, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. That's what they say. But now listen to this. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple. See, now you're talking about something that I can, that they can get behind. Right? The gold. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple. He is a debtor. 
ye fools and blind. For whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. See, they didn't look at the temple in a spiritual context. They looked at it in a natural context and they went after what was naturally appealing to the eyes and that was the, the luster of the gold, right? What about those sacrifices that they sold there in the house of God? And, and I love that this fact. If you look it up and he says that you made my, my, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise. If you go and you look up the, what that word means, uh, it's, it's a mart, right? Or an emporium. Uh, that's, that's what it means. And so I, I kind of look at it like this. They had taken the, the temple of God, the house of God, and turned it into Walmart. You can't find much at Walmart's going to last you any while, uh, can you? But in the temple of God, you're supposed to find salvation, which was their everlasting life. So he goes on. He says, And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. So this is two of the most important things that are that pertain to the temple complex, right? The, the actual temple itself and the altar upon which... The sacrifices were given. The altar is nothing. So they've said the temple is nothing and the altar is nothing. But whosoever shall sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Jesus goes on and he says, fools and blind. Ye fools and blind. For whether is greater the gift, the gift on the altar, or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Obviously, in both of these instances, it was the, the sanctifying, what it was the it was the, the item that sanctified the, the thing that was greater than what was upon it. The gold, the, 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 the glory of the gold was exceeded dramatically by the sanctifying power of the temple because of it being the house of God. The, the gift that's on the altar is, is done away with. That's the, that's what they're buying and selling, isn't it? They're saying, don't worry about the altar. It's the thing you just bought from me that's, that, that's, that matters. Jesus says he's guilty. Because that, that, that sacrifice is nothing without the altar that sanctifies it. Remember, when you get saved, ye are now sanctified. You're, because you're justified. You stand innocent before God uh, because of uh, the blood of Christ being applied to your life. Doesn't mean you'll never sin again. Uh, matter of fact, I can promise you, you probably you, you will. But repentance is not just for one time. Uh, I want to continue on down this path. I want to look over in in John. We're looking in the in the book of John, John chapter two, and that's where Jesus had said. And I think I was thinking it was Luke, but it's John chapter two. I just wanted to make sure I pointed that out for you. John chapter 2, verse 16, that's where Jesus said, These things hence make not my father's house and house of merchandise. 
That was the one time where Jesus demonstrated anger. And you know what he was demonstrating anger toward? He was demonstrating anger toward sanctimony and sacrilege because that's what they had committed. They had committed sacrilege in God's house. And, uh, and so we look at that and we continue on for just a minute. And I'm, I'm about going to close up. I don't, I don't have too long. I'm not going to go too long for you today. But now I want you to think about this. We were, in that, we're, we're, we're reading out of the book of Galatians. And I want to I see everybody's faces here. And I, just, just by a show of hands, Paul's name was, Saul's name was changed to Paul on the Damascus Road. Can you please raise your hand if you agree with that statement? There's a few. I want to show you why that's not correct. I do not believe that's correct. And I want to show you why I don't believe that's correct. We, we know by studying in the scriptures over here uh, that, uh, that Paul, uh, that Saul of Tarshish was converted on the Damascus Road. Uh, ninth chapter, uh, and, uh, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus that the synagogues, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And he, and as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him from heaven a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a great and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? For and the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Uh, and he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me? to do. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And uh, and so there he goes, Ananias, that's who it was. Uh, and so he goes to Ananias, uh, and it's told to him that he's a chosen vessel uh, to the Gentiles. Now, uh, is there anywhere, you can study this, is there anywhere that you find uh, in this instance where Paul's name, where God declares Paul's name to be changed to, to or Saul's name to be changed to Paul? I'm getting them all mixed up here. Is there any place you find in the, in the account we have of the Damascus Road where God declares Saul's name to be changed to Paul. You won't find it. I'm just going to go ahead and just tell you, you will not find it. You won't find it. It's not there. It's not there. Now, this is something that's been taught, right? This is something that's been taught. This is something that has been believed, that, that God changed... Saul's name to Paul on the Damascus Road. Here's the thing, though, is if you read from this point forward, he's still always referred to as Saul. If God changed his name, why wouldn't he be referred to as Paul? See, I want, you, I want to think about it. I want, you to, I want to engage you in this. I want you to think about it because this is something that's been taught down through the years 
That, 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 I don't believe the scriptures support. I'm not standing up here saying that I got some, some grand revelation from the Lord. Paul got that when he was out in the desert of Arabia. This is what I've ascertained from the study of scripture. And I want to point out to you the place where it gets changed. We're going to point that out. Acts chapter 13 and verse 9. Then Saul, and then in parentheses, who is also called Paul. Then Saul who is also called Paul. Now, in some of the other translations, you'll read it this way. Then Paul, who is also called Saul. So why, what, why the name change? This is after the beginning of the missionary journeys. You go to another country, they may not pronounce your name correctly. <laughs> So he began to be known as Paul on the missionary journeys. But in Jerusalem, in Judea, he was still Saul of Tarshish. Now, you wanna, I'm, I want to ask you a question. Now, why is it, because I want to, this is why I pointed out, and I think it's important. Because if we go back to the, if we go back to the, the letter in Galatia, he's using this as a foundational principle to support the gospel that he presented to the church at Galatia when they were saved and founded. 13, verse 13 in chapter 1. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Now, God changed Peter's name to Cephas, Jesus. Jesus said, thou shalt be called Cephas, which means a stone. That's not a big stone. That's not a big stone, right? That's not a big stone because it's a little stone. Jesus was the, the rock upon which the church of God was founded. Secondarily, I want to point this out to you. The Catholic Church teaches that Peter was the first pope, Correct. But Peter was an apostle to the circumcision. Now I want to ask you this question. If Peter's an apostle to the circumcision, how can he be the first pope? Because that is a uncircumcision denomination. Pa Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, was the apostle to the uncircumcision, which would have included Rome. He wrote the book of Romans. See, I want you to think about some of this stuff. It doesn't make it doesn't add up, does it? Now, secondarily, I want to ask you this question. You take a person like Saul of Tarsus. Why would God change his name? It would conceal a glory that God worked in that man that was unexplainable to the Jews. Unexplainable. Here you have this man who's so fervent in their religion that he 
takes it upon himself to go to the high priest to ask for letters to go to Damascus to the synagogues. You notice that, don't you? That the that he's going to the synagogues, and if he finds any of them in this way, where? In the synagogue. Remember, you go to, you go to Romans, we go to the book of Romans, and we, and we read this really quickly. Romans chapter 2, we go to Romans chapter 2, we go down to the end, uh, verses 28 and 29. He says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Remember what Jesus said about the, the cup and the platter? You, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy, right? He says, he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, but is that circ- and neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. Now, this, is, this all ties together because here you have uh, Titus uh, here at this meeting and he's a, he's a Greek, he's an uncircumcised Greek and Paul says in his letter that he never felt compelled to be circumcised. Why? But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. Inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, uh, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Isn't that crazy? That's why they hated him so much. Because he still bore the name. And so he teaches the church at Galatia, don't you forget... Where you came from, basically. And he uses himself as an example of that. He uses himself as an example of that. He finishes up in the second chapter with the best reminder, maybe outside of the book of Ephesians, that we can find, saying in the, ver- in the 16th verse, and if you're here today and you're saved, this is what you got to have. This is what it takes. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. You can't work your way into heaven. Paul was zealous in the Jews' religion. He was trying to work his way into heaven because they believe as long as you do enough good works, um, that lady justice, if we could have that image again of her standing there blindfolded, holding a scale, that if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you get into heaven. And God says that's not the way you get into heaven. Uh, It's only by being justified by uh, faith. Uh, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a specific faith. It's not a general faith. It is a specific faith. By the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Amen. Amen. Be careful who teaches you. Our country is in a great strife right now. And, I, and it, I, it's, I'm sad to say 
that a very large reason of why our country faces the peril that it does today is because we haven't been diligent about those whom we've charged to teach our children. We want to live in a fairy tale where we go to work, we send our kids to school, and they teach our kids the way we would have them to be taught. That may happen in some instances, but if you look across our country, there's ample evidence that that's not the case. Search out the truth. Make sure that it is rightly divided. Scripture supports Scripture, supports Scripture, supports Scripture. Not just something that somebody said and you went with it. Now, I don't say anything here today to get anybody upset. If you still believe that God changed Saul's name to Paul on Damascus Road, I've got no problem with you. I just wanted to show you in Scripture that there in the 13th chapter to support the lesson that was being given that he was still referred to as Saul. Again, if there's anybody who doesn't know the Lord, what he penned in the 16th verse, that's what you got to have. Justification by faith. Saved by grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's my lesson for today. That's our sermon for today. I pray that you got uh, a blessing out of it. Um, Brother Williams, if you could, uh, we're going to turn the service over to you. If you could lead us in a verse of song.